And I know that. And so I hope you came this morning with great expectations and, and great expe- expectations that you're going to learn something this morning. So tell you what, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm about ready to learn something. <laughs> I said that in earlier service and I overheard someone say, about time. But you know what? It is my prayer this morning that you not only learn something, but you have greater understanding because it's not just a knowledge. It it comes in understanding because you cannot do and I cannot do what we don't understand. So it's more than just knowledge. But yeah, we want to learn something. But you know what? This morning, boy, I want you to have greater understanding. I tell you what, it started for me last night in worship and, and then, you know, both services here this morning that it seemed like God just, he kept impressing upon me that, you know what, Charlie, you're going to speak to some people that were raised in a culture that they were taught how to have a relationship with the church but not how to have a relationship with God. Help them. Just help them. Understand that I want a relationship with them. Help them to understand what it means to have a relationship with me. If that's you, don't be embarrassed by that. Uh, If that's how you're raised, it's okay. But this morning, it is my prayer. Yes, the church is important, and yes, we're ordained, and all this other stuff. But more importantly, God wants to have a relationship with you. And you can have a relationship with him. We've been in this series in Galatians, and the first part of Galatians is, is, is a lot of doctrine. So we've walked through the different doc- doctrines together, and then in a couple of weeks, it'll make a turn that if these things are true in your life, then all of a sudden, this is how you live your life. And we've been talking about what it means to live life in freedom, what it means to live life free of the past and all that other stuff. And so we're going to go just a little bit deeper this week, uh, last week. We looked at justification just so we're all on the same page. We looked at the, the, the doctrine of justification that meant that you were justified just as if you had never sinned, that justification is this, that, that it's, it's a moment, it's not a process, it's not something that you're trying to jump through enough hoops and check off enough boxes and do all the right stuff, but you are justified when you receive him, when you accept Christ, and it is a moment in time. It is an exact time. It is... Okay, so that's what we looked at, that justified, we have the righteousness of Christ. We have his righteousness. That's what justification is. Now, today we're going to go a little bit deeper, and we're going to look at the doctrine of adoption. And I want you to see this morning how, how justification and, and, and adoption go hand in hand. You see, uh, we become God's child by d- adoption. We become his child by this issue of Adoption. So watch this, just so that we can kind of understand this. Uh, in justification, God declares us righteous. Okay? Justification, God declares us righteous. But watch this. Adoption, God declares us loved. Justification, righteous. Adoption, loved. Now let me show you how those two doctrines, let me show you how they work together in concert with one another. Imagine, if you will, just for a moment, that uh, you are, you're in a courtroom and you're guilty of a crime. You know you did it. Everybody else in the courtroom knows you did it. 
the, the judge knows you're guilty. People in the courtroom know you're guilty. You know you're guilty. And so you come to that moment in time when the judge, he or she, walks in the courtroom and asks you to stand for the verdict. Now, you already know you're guilty. All you're waiting to hear is the punishment, right? I mean, when you know you're guilty and everybody knows you're guilty, all you're waiting to hear is just how bad is the punishment going to be? And a judge stands up and looks at you and says, please stand for the verdict. And looks at you and says, not guilty. That's justification. It's a moment. It's a legal term in their times. Not guilty. And now you're kind of pushed back on your heels and then the judge does something else. He or she takes off her robe and comes down from behind the bench. Walks over to you. Asks the jailer for the keys to your handcuffs and your shackles and takes the key, unlocks your handcuffs, unlocks your chains, grabs you by the hand and says, you are loved and I'm taking you into my family and I'm going to care for you, I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to support you and I'm going to meet every need you have. It's what God does for us. See, that's how justification and adoption, that's how they work together. And Paul begins showing us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Watch this. For in Christ, you're all sons of God through faith. Now, just so we understand each other, we're not automatically sons of God. We're not automatically children of God. It's something that we receive. Paul is not saying that everybody is a child of God, regardless of what they believe, regardless of who they are. Okay, so verse 26, verse 27. For as many of you as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female. If you are all one in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to a promise. Sons and heirs, I mean the... the, the I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardian and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption. Okay, so it's something you receive. We might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent uh, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that your word is, is, is alive and active and it is true. And Father, I just ask that, Father, this morning that you would help us in a very personal and, and in an intimate way to not only hear your word but to be open to your word to receive your word and Father may we understand you directly from your word this morning at a deeper level for we ask these things in Jesus name Amen okay so Paul in Galatians 3 26 through 4 7 continually begins using this word son and 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 he uses the word multiple times and and so there's a reason uh, behind that it is not because Paul is chauvinistic he is speaking into their culture and see in their culture in the first century the son received all of the family's inheritance 
It was through the son that the son received all of the family inheritance. And now all of a sudden, he is speaking countercultural to, to, to their, their culture of their time. Because he says, in Christ, when you have been justified, when you have been adopted, that you have the same privilege as a son, regardless of gender, regardless of ethnic background, regardless of social status, that when you are adopted that you, and you're in Christ, then you're all one in Christ. Watch this, verse 1 out of chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. He's saying at one time as a child, you were like a slave or you were like a servant and you were in this household and you were in the household, but you weren't in the family. And you're trying to kind of earn your way there. You're trying to work. You had rules and you had regulations and you're trying to check off the block boxes or, or do anything you could. But no matter what you did, you were never in the family. And he says, now then, in Christ, when you receive him, when you accept him, you're, you're justified, you're adopted, and you have the same privileges... You have the same privileges as a, as a son. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as son. God sent his son so that we might receive the privilege, adoption, the portion of a son. I mean, at the right time, at the right time, God brought everything together. It was the right time. It was an appointed time. And there was appointed time for Jesus Christ to come. And that is good news to us because if there is appointed time for him to come, there is appointed time in history for him to come again. And he said, at, at the right time, what does, what does Jesus bring to the table that Buddha and Muhammad don't. Watch this. But when the fullness of time had come, at the right time, it was preordained, predestined. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God sent his son. His son is fully divine. Not a created son, not an angel that becomes a son, not a man that becomes a son. No, fully divine. The pre-existent son. It was God himself. God came. He came on his behalf. And he was fully divine. And he was fully human. Born of a woman. Born in a natural way. God, it may be hard for us to understand about Jesus, but he was fully divine. He was fully God. And he was fully human. Fully righteous. In other words, he was fully righteous, born under the law. He was born a man, and not just a man, but he was born a Jew into a Jewish family, and he went into the Jewish synagogue, and, and he not only knew the law, but he fulfilled the law. And because of that, that we are justified, and we are adopted, and we have the privilege of a family. Listen, one thing about adoption is this, adoption is intentional. There is no such thing as an accidental adoption, right? I mean, when you look at this issue of adoption in our time, in our culture, adoption is intentional. No one's accidentally adopts someone. It is something that is premeditated. The same in verse 5, watch this, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption 
as sons. Listen, as a pastor, well, even back in, in Texas, a, a good friend of mine by the name of Jimmy Luke, we were all, a bunch of guys were together and everyone's talking, and he was the first person that I'd ever met and really knew that, that had been adopted. And I never will forget, I mean, I watched Jimmy bring a group of guys to, to tears when he began talking about his adoption. Jimmy was a war baby, and, and he was left on the, the front porch of an orphanage in, in Louisiana in his community, and he was very malnourished. And, and he talked at how his, pa- his family traveled from Houston, Texas to Louisiana to adopt him. And so we're all having this conversation. We asked him, Jimmy, why were you adopted? And he says, oh, that's easy. I was the ugliest baby in the orphanage. And, and he was ugly as a man, too. And so I, I, he would say that, too. I, I wanted to tell you guys what, what, what we used to say about Jimmy and what he said about himself. But my wife told me that that would be totally offensive to all the women. All the men would think it's stinking funny and use it. And, uh, but all the women, no matter how I set it up, would be offended and alienate all the women. So uh, I'm not going to tell you. I want to so bad. But, but Jimmy Luke started talking about adoption and how even though he was not an attractive baby, he was malnourished, that he had a mom and a dad that adopted him. And they sent him to college. They provide, provided for him. They cared for him just like all the other children in the family. As a pastor, I've walked with families, some wonderful families in our church and other churches, is they've walked through the issue of adoption for all different reasons, from adopting within Colorado to adopting within other countries. And, uh, you know, we have some families, James 127, that says pure and undefiled religion is taking care of the widows and the orphans, and they're living that out as, as they adopt. And so I've walked with some families. And so there's some things that I know about adoption. That in other words, there's qualifications that you have to meet, right? Now, like, every, like different states have different qualifications. Different countries have qu- different qualifications. Some countries, you have to be married. Some countries, you can be single. Some countries, you have to own a home. Other countries, you can uh, rent a home. And other countries, there's, there's all different. So, so to adopt, it's premeditated. Nobody adopts accidentally. Uh, the other thing is this, is that you have to meet certain qualifications to be able to adopt. There's a time and, and, and there's a process. And the same is true that we are adopted. And Jesus Christ had the resolve. He had the desire. He met the qualifications is what Paul is trying to say. Ephesians, look at this, Ephesians 1, 3 uh, and 5. It says this, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for what? For adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to his purpose and will. Guess what? There's no such thing as, as accidental abor- uh, 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 adoption. There's no such thing as accidental adoption spiritually as well. He predestined. He chose 
I mean, Ephesians 2 goes on and says this. You can read that later. That not only this, we weren't like orphans without a father. We were orphans who rejected a father. We were orphans who said, we don't want a father. We were orphans who said, you know what? We don't want God, and we don't want a father, and we don't want to live by the scriptures, and we don't want to live by what he says, and we want to live the ways of the world, and we want to be able to make our own decisions, and we want to be able to make... Listen, we were not the greatest prospects for adoption. Just like Jimmy Luke says, you know what? I was the ugliest baby in the orphanage, and my parents adopted me anyway. The same is true for us spiritually. We were not the greatest prospects for adoption. And guess what? He adopted us anyway. Justification. I mean, the Judaizers were saying it's this issue of, of Jesus plus something else in some way we can make ourselves acceptable or good enough or, or whatever or, or attractive. No. While we were still sinners, he died for us anyway. Even in the midst of saying, we don't want him. He came for us. There's nothing in us that would draw him to us. Even still, he decided to adopt us and pay the price. And God sent his son that was fully divine and fully human. That we may have positions of a son and a daughter. That we'd have the privileges of a son. Man, can I tell you this? Some of you right now, even though you're a Christian, you are living your life as a servant or a slave and not a son. And you're trying to check off enough boxes and you're trying to do enough good stuff so he'll just accept you and love you. And can I just tell you, you're already loved. You are his child. You have the privileges of a son. You have his righteousness. And when you understand that, it changes the way that you respond to him. Look at this, verse 6. And because you are sons, God sent his spirit, uh, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer, no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through the son. Three things, three principles real quickly that I want you to grab this morning that Paul just so desperately wanted us and them to understand. The first thing is this, is when you have been justified, when you have been adopted, when you accept Christ, when you receive him, however you want to phrase that, we are immersed in Christ. We are immersed in Christ. Verse 27, it says this, for as many of you, uh, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ. In other words, through baptism. You saw baptism this morning. We, we baptized last night. We baptized almost every weekend here in different services. And, and uh, that when you are baptized, you are identifying 
with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're identifying with Christ. You're, it's the picture of being immersed in him. That's why baptism is so important. Listen, circumcision is not the mark of a believer. Baptism is the mark of a believer. A biblical baptism to where it wasn't something that someone chose for you. It was something that you were aware of. The fact is, when you look through Scripture, you find that, that people were baptized when they were at the age, when they were at, had the ability to understand there was sin in their life, they were separate from God. And they made a decision to follow Him. And then they made a decision to follow Him in baptism. Listen, and let me be clear. You do not have to be baptized to be saved or to be a Christian would be no different than the Judaizers. The Judaizers are saying it's Jesus plus works, Jesus plus circumcision. So we would be no different than them by saying it's Jesus plus baptism. But let me tell you this. To be an obedient Christ follower, you have to be baptized. Fact is, the Bible doesn't even give it as an option. It's a command. You cannot be a Christ follower without following him and being baptized in the same manner that he was. Jesus Christ himself was baptized. How? By immersion, the scripture says. He came up out of water. Saturday, I did two weddings. Baptism is like, to me, it's like this. Someone saying, you know what? I'll marry you. Just don't tell anybody. I don't want to make it public. I'm not wearing a ring. Baptism. So many times we make too little or too much out of it. We make too much out of it by saying you've got to be baptized to be saved. We make too little out of it by saying, hey, it's just up to you. Do whatever you want. Nobody really cares. Both are wrong. Something happens in the baptism of an individual spiritually. If you have not been biblically baptized, would you move towards it? No. Would you just be baptized? That's something you don't even need to pray about. Would you be baptized? Get rid of your pride. Get rid of your ego. Get rid of all of that stuff. And just be obedient to the scriptures and to what he has called you. Saturday night, we had six or seven people. This morning, we had more people say, I want to be baptized. We had a, uh, Saturday night, we had a lady that was 86 years old. So it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian a year or 86 years or 100, however. Would you follow him in obedience to the Scripture because here's what, here's what happens. You'll transfer that into other areas of your life. 
And you'll begin to pick and choose what you decide you follow and what you don't. We are immersed in Christ. We are immersed in Christ. The second thing is, is we're, we're one in Christ. Verse 27, for as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now listen, Paul begins to break all the racial and, and uh, social and gender barriers. This verse 28 had to push them back and made them uncomfortable, which it may make some of you uncomfortable here this morning. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male nor female, for you're all one. You're not separate. You're not individuals. You are one in Christ. Now, let's be really, really clear as we understand this passage. He is not saying those distinctions are gone. He is not saying the distinctions of male and female are gone. He's not saying the distinctions of, of, of ethnic background are gone. He's not saying the distinction of social status are gone. He's not saying any of Here's what he's saying. The distinctions are still there, but they are no longer barriers. Be proud of your ethnic background. Be cr- proud of, of the family that God has uh, uh, given you and your status and your social. St- be proud of your gender. Be proud of all of that stuff. And what he's saying is the distinctions are still there, but the barriers, the barriers are no longer there. The, cr- the ground is level at the cross. There's no one group better than the other. See, that's why Paul was so mad with the Judaizers. The Judaizers are saying, coming in and saying, hey, the Jews are better than the Gentiles. Paul's livid. Paul is angry. Because all of a sudden they're saying, you know what? We're better. We are better than them. And Paul's like, no. There's no male or female. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free. Guys. We're a family. We are one in Christ. I mean, this is an amazing principle to see, especially when you do missions. I've done missions, Beattlestock, Poland, and the Dominican Republic. I took a medical mission here from our church a little, uh, couple of years ago. And I've been in Mexico and done mission work there and other places. And here's an amazing thing. And you see this principle live out. When you go and do missions in foreign countries, you may not be able to speak the same language. You don't have the same skin color. You don't have the, uh, the same culture. You don't like the same foods. You, you, they worship a little bit different. And you go and you meet them, and you meet them immediately. And you go, we got a bond. Man, it's just something that you can't explain and you can't understand. And Paul's saying that's because of this, that we are one in Christ. We are not separate. And we're not individuals, but all the barriers are, are, man, we belong to Christ. The place that this should be lived out is in the local church. That there is no one group better than the other. And that we can worship alongside of each other and know, listen, I was raised in the South. I was raised in Texas. I saw racism in its worst form to where I so hate it, I so detest it. When I hear the words, I'm telling you, I want to sin. Just out of anger. Just saying some things. 
because I know what it does to people. Listen, there is no place for it in the body of Christ. And occasionally I'm talking to people and I hear people and they talk about different ethnic backgrounds like they're worse than them and not as good as them and, not, and they're better than them. Listen, if that's you, repent today. I'm an equal opportunity offender today, I think. The church should be leading the way in this area. And understand, we are one, regardless of male or female, ethnic background, social status. We are one in Christ. The distinctions are still there, and we celebrate those distinctions. But the barriers are gone. Watch this. It goes deeper than that. Verse 29. And if you are, if you are Christ, then watch this. Then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the purpose. To, to, to purpose, uh, to promise. He ties us back to the Old Testament. Do you realize we have unity with Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and Moses? They're all in the family. We are one. We are one. We are immersed with Christ. We are one in Christ. And then the last thing is this. Thank the Lord we have intimacy with Christ. We have an intimate living, breathing relationship with Christ. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Listen, Abba is a title for God, and I hear preachers all the time preach about this deal of Abba like it's baby talk, and it's daddy, 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 and it's this. No, it is not that. It is deeper than that. It is the most intimate word for God there is. Fact is, it is so intimate, it's only used three times in the New Testament. Once here, when Paul's explaining it. Another time, Jesus uses it at the Garden of Gethsemane when he's about ready to go to the cross the night before. He's praying, remember, and sweats of blood and all that other stuff. And, and it says, and, and he begins to groan his prayers. It's this intimate word for God. That words, it's when you can't get the words out. Romans chapter 8, again, it appears when the scripture says that, that when we go through those times that we get the doctor's report or we have that financial problem or that collapse or, or a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter or, or crisis in our life and it just rocks our world that we don't even know what to pray. And it's just those groanings. It's that intimate word for God that means we have deep intimacy with him. You know what it's like to be in relationship with someone, right? And you've been in relationship with them long enough that you can look into their eyes and you know what they're thinking. You know what they're going through. That's the picture of this, that Christ has so much intimacy with you and you have so much intimacy with him that Christ, even though you can't explain it and you can't get the words out, he looks into your eyes and your heart and he knows what you're praying. And he knows what you're thinking. I mean, where we have this intimacy with God. I mean, we have got to understand that at one time we were held captive by the law and now we're captivated by his love. We're no longer servants and we're no longer slaves and we're no longer trying to check off the blocks just so that he loves us. That now we've come into relationship with a loving Father to where we live differently from a different motivation. And when we give and when we serve and when we do ministry, it's because we're in a loving relationship with Him. 
not trying to earn his approval. We know we're in the family. Listen, that's the thing about adoption. That's the thing about you talk to families that have adopted. Man, and they talk about. See, sometimes we say things that are hurtful to people that, that have adopted. And let me just help you. Uh, we'll say some things like, like we'll look at a family that has adopted and we'll look at their family and say, uh, you got any children of your own? Now, they know what we mean and you know what we mean, but I'm going to tell you that's hurtful. They're going, what do you mean do we got any children of our own? They're all our own, regardless of how they came into the family, regardless of the background. Every one of them, our own. Oh, do they know their real mom? What do you mean do they know their real mom? Their real mom will fix them breakfast in the morning. Their real mom is going to tuck them in bed tonight. They, yes, they know their real mom. I am their real mom. They're adopted. They're in my family. There is no different. I mean, he came at the right time. Saturday night, I sat down here on the front row and visited with a, a young girl that had been adopted. And she told the amazing story how she went into foster care and was only in there a few days. And, and God transferred her parents from another state to our state. They, God laid on their heart to, to adopt her. And so she, she was adopted. And she says, I know it all happened at, right, it's at the right time. Now, let me tell you something. We have intimacy with God you are adopted. You are his child. He loves you deeply. You don't have to worry if one day you're in the family and one day you're out. That's a servant. That is a slave. That is a slave or a servant that was in the household and just kind of on the peripheral and not really in and not really out and went through all that stress and that pressure. Listen, when you understand that you are a child of God and you have been adopted and you are loved, you know you're in the family. You are not justified today and unjustified tomorrow. Fact is, you never see that in Scripture. Paul never talks about one day you're justified and the next day you're unjustified. When you have been justified and when you have been adopted... You're his. You don't have to worry on the last day if he's going to turn his back to you. You've got an inheritance. You don't have a father just for a period of time. You have an internal father. Exodus chapter 19, when, when, when uh, Moses got the law, remember that? He went up to the mountain to get the law. The smoke comes down. The mountain starts to tremble. And when the mountain starts to tremble, you know something is up. And so he's going to get the law, and only Moses could go up. Why? Because when God was revealing the law, you didn't want to be around because he's revealing your sin, and it was going to be a bad deal. So only, only uh, Moses got to go up and get the law. New Testament. We're free from the law. We don't fear the law. Do you understand that? We approach God with confidence because he's a loving father. Listen, if you approach God with fear... You're operating as a slave and you're operating as a servant. And he wants you to operate as a son and a child. When I was in seminary, every, se every semester, it was one of my favorite things that they would do because I love biographies. We'd have to pick a, a biography of someone, a pastor or a missionary or whoever of the past and, and study their life and do a paper on it and do it for the class. And I love biographies and it's so much fun. So I, one year I, I chose John Wesley as a, as a famous Methodist preacher many, many years ago. And so uh, 
I, I got a hold of some, some things from his journal. And so John Wesley uh, was, was a pastor. He studied scripture. He studied doctrine. He prayed. He fasted. He preached. He went into prisons and did prison ministry. He fed the hungry. Uh, he did a lot of things. And so I'm reading along about his life. And then I come to his journal. And this is what he writes after his first mission trip. He writes this. He says, I who went to America to convert others. I came to the point where I realized I myself was never converted to God. And I'm going, is that possible? Are you serious? You can do all those things. You can pray. You can study the scripture. You can fast. You can go on mission trips. You can go into hospitals. You can go into prisons. You can feed the hungry. You can take care of the orphans. You can do all this stuff and not have a relationship with God and not be converted. And then he writes after his conversion. Then, talking about before his conversion, then I had the faith of a servant, but not the faith of a son that I have now. A servant is trying to do enough stuff to make themselves acceptable to God. A son knows I'm in the family. I'm a child of his. I have all the privileges. I have great security. A son and a daughter lives their Christian life totally different. They don't live like the rest of the world. They live their life radically different because they know they are loved and they know they are cared for. And they serve him out of love and they give to him out of love and they do, do ministry to him out of love. Out of responding to a loving, gracious father. I never will forget, I was talking to a guy that had adopted a child in, a, in another country and it was a difficult country to adopt from and it was a two-year process before they finally got the approval and he traveled miles and, and so they had had their son for, the few, for a few years and their son was six years old. And so dad and their son are riding in a car together and, and so, you know, it's, it's that stage of life, you know, parents, uh, some of you are in it, some of you remember it. Uh, when, when, when you'd answer questions and your kid is always, why, why, why? You know, you never could give them an answer. Just why, why, why is the sky? What color is the sky blue? Why? And so all that stuff. And so they're riding in a car together. And all of a sudden the son asks him, says, Daddy, why do you love me? He says, because you're my child. You're my son. Why? Because you're, you're in our family. But why? Dad, why do you love me? He said, well, because you're in our home, you're our child, and we provide for you. And then he noticed, he says, and I'm not the most sensitive person in the world, but I could tell this was, a, this was a crucial moment in his life. And so then things got really serious, and he turned to me, and he says, but, Dad, why do you love me? And he said, you know, you get that awkward silence I need to say something here. I need to end this. I need, I need for him to know. And he said, I turned to him and, and I looked in his eyes and, and I looked at him and I said, I love you. 
because I traveled a long distance, thousands of miles to get you. And I brought you home. And it was a long process. Son, I wanted you. Can I tell you this? Jesus Christ loves you so much that he came to get you. Not just the person behind you, in front of you, or to the right or to the left of you. He loves you so much, he came to get you, to redeem you, to die on a cross and to pay for your sins, that when you receive him, he would say, not guilty. And he would declare you loved. How can you not respond to a God like that? Whether it's baptism, whether it's giving of your resources, whether it's following him, how can you not respond to a God like that? It says you're always in my family. This morning, if you have never accepted him, would this be the morning that you would ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life? Maybe you've been a believer a long time, and you know what? You're saying, you know what? I haven't had intimacy with God in a long time, whether it's because of circumstances, whether it's because of situations in your life. Listen, we're about ready to go into a time of worship, and Chad and our worship team are going to lead us, and this is your moment. This is your moment to cry out to him, to worship him. Maybe this is your moment to accept him and ask him to come into your life. Maybe this is your moment to say, I've got to get baptized. I've got to follow him. I've, maybe this is your moment to say, you know what? I have been living my life as a slave or a servant. I am going to live my life as a child of God and understand that he loves me. He just loves me. And it's going to change my life. Whatever God has for you, will you be obedient? Will you respond to him?